0: Today we're going to have a topic that we don't talk about much anymore. Uh, It's a topic that I really, a word I haven't really heard in a long time, and that word is envy. Um, I think when you hear the word envy, uh, usually it's in the context of a compliment, right? Like, I envy your lawn, or I envy your purse, or I envy your whatever, right? And it's a compliment. But envy is a serious matter before God, and it's a serious matter before us, I love this story it 's a, it's a wonderful illustration it 's an ancient Jewish parable. You may have heard this in a in a different format, but it displays a heart of envy. There is a poor jewish farmer he um, he has very few cattle uh, he has very very little food he has no, fa- no children he 's married and the angel of the Lord comes to this Jewish farmer and he says... I will grant you three requests, make three requests of God, and he will will bless you with those blessings that you ask of God. The farmer is very excited, so he goes home and he tells his wife, guess what, an angel appeared to me and said, I can make three requests and I will get whatever I want. But the angel makes one caveat to this. He says, whatever you ask for, I will give to you in full, but your neighbor will get double. Not dismayed, the farmer is very excited and his wife and they kneel down and they pray, oh gracious God, would you give us a thousand cattle? This would break the generations of poverty in our family. And so they pray, he gets up, he looks out the window and sure enough, there is a thousand cattle there and he is walking five feet off the ground. He is so uh, excited about his cattle. He is praising and worshiping God for his generosity and this lasts for a few days until he goes up on a hill, and he looks over to his neighbor's yard, and sure enough, 2,000 cattle. He comes home angry, full of envy, frustrated. He won't eat. He can't sleep. He wakes up the next day trying to get it out of his mind, and, and he prays again. He says, Lord, my second request is that you would give us a child that we would have a heritage, and so they wait a month or two, and sure enough, his wife is pregnant. And again, he is excited, tending his flock, praising God for the gift and the blessing that he has bestowed on his life. When the baby comes, he is overjoyed. He goes to the synagogue that week and says, this week our community has been blessed. We have had a child, a baby boy. And as he is sitting down, his neighbor rises up and says, we have indeed been blessed this week. We have had twins. And again, the man is envious and angry and he goes home and can't eat, can't sleep. And the next day he wakes up and is still stewing. And, and uh, you know, he has in mind, okay, whatever I ask, my neighbor will receive double. And I have one request left. And so he, he prays, Lord, would you gouge out one of my eyes? And the angel of the Lord comes to him and says to him, why would you pray such a dark prayer? Why do you have such dark desires And the farmer's reply is, I can't stand to see my neighbor prosper. I gladly sacrifice half my vision for the satisfaction of knowing that he can't see any of the blessings that he has. Now that is an extreme case of envy, isn't it? But you see the heart of envy. Envy is a very ugly thing. Something that we don't think about much today, but is certainly present in America. If you would open up to Genesis chapter 30, it's page 24 if you're in the Red Bible. Um, Just to catch you up to speed, Jacob is now in Haran. Uh, He comes to Haran. He meets Rachel. He falls in love with her. He asks Laban, her her father, if, if he can marry her in exchange for seven years of work. He agrees. Jacob works seven years. He has a wedding. Laban exchanges Rachel with Leah on the wedding night, and so Jacob marries Leah the less pretty of the sisters. And uh, he's deceived, and then he works out another agreement with Laban to work another seven years to marry Rachel. And so he marries Rachel right away. He's working off his his seven years that he owes for Rachel. And that's the context of the story. Now, one interesting thing that plays into the story is, and we read this last week, and you probably thought, oh, those verses don't make much sense or they're not important. But when, when Leah and Rachel married Jacob, both times God, or not God, Laban gives to the wives as a, as a wedding present, he gives them servants, okay, handmaids. And not that that's good, but that's the reality. And that plays into the story today. And so let's look and see this story that is really driven by envy. Read with me if you would. Genesis 30, verse 1, page 24 in the Red Bible. We'll read through verse 24. Genesis 30, verse 1. When Rachel saw that she bore Jacob no children, she envied her sister, Leah. Leah had borne four children at this point in time. She said to Jacob, Give me children, or I shall die. Jacob's anger was kindled against Rachel, and he said, Am I in the place of God, who has withheld from you the fruit of the womb? Then she said, Here is my servant Bilhah the wedding gift from her dad. Go into her so that she may give birth on my behalf, that even I may have children through her. So she gave him her servant Bilhah as a wife, and Jacob went into her. And Bilhah conceived and bore Jacob a son. Then Rachel said, God has judged me and has also heard my voice and given me a son. Therefore, she called his name Dan. Dan. Rachel's servant, Bilhah, conceived again and bore Jacob a second son. Then Rachel said, with mighty wrestling, I have wrestled my sister and have prevailed. So she called his name Naphtali. When Leah saw she had ceased bearing children, she took her servant, Zilpah, and gave her to Jacob as a wife. Then Leah's servant, Zilpah, bore Jacob a son, and Leah said, good fortune has come to me. So she called his name Gad. Leah's servant Zilpah bore Jacob a second son, and Leah said, "'Happy am I, for women have called me happy.' So she called his name Asher. In the days of the wheat harvest, Reuben went and found mandrakes in the field and brought them to his mother Leah. Then Rachel said to Leah, "'Please give me some of your son's mandrakes.' But she said to her, "'Is it a small matter that you have taken away my husband? Would you take away my son's mandrakes also?' Rachel said, Then he may lie with you tonight in exchange for your son's mandrakes. When Jacob came home from the field in the evening, Leah went out to meet him and said, You must come into me, for I have hired you with my son's mandrakes. So he lay with her that night, and God listened to Leah, and she conceived and bore Jacob a fifth son. Leah said, God has given me my wages because I gave my servant to my husband. So she called his name Issachar. And Leah conceived again, and she bore Jacob a sixth son. Then Leah said, God has endowed me with a good endowment. Now my husband will honor me, because I have borne him six sons. So she called his name Zebulun. Afterwards, she bore a daughter and called her name Dinah. Then God remembered Rachel, and God listened to her and opened her womb. She conceived and bore a son and said, God has taken away my reproach. And she called his name Joseph saying may the lord add to me another son let's pray god as we come to this text today uh, as i'd already confessed this is not a topic i think often of lord but as we work through your scriptures as we work through genesis lord we know that you have this passage for us today for a reason god you have ordained all things because you are good lord This is for each of our hearts, Lord. So we pray that we would be receptive to your word and that we would grow in our relationship with you. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. There are three things in this passage I want to look at today in regards to envy. The first is the heart of envy. Where does envy come from? The second is the fruit of envy. What are the consequences? What happens when we envy? And third is the triumph over envy. So let's start with the first, the heart of envy. I looked up the definition for envy in Webster's Dictionary, and this was the definition that they had. Envy is the painful or resentful awareness of an advantage enjoyed by another. Joined with a desire to possess that same advantage. That sounds like Rachel, doesn't it? (laughs) And even Leah. Painful or resentful awareness of an advantage enjoyed by another joined with the desire to possess that same advantage. This really encapsulates all the definitions that I heard, that there's two prongs to envy. The first prong is that you resent another person having a blessing. And the second prong is that you desire to possess that blessing for yourself. And this is exactly the case that Rachel is in. We see in verse 1, it says, literally, "...when Rachel saw that she bore Jacob no children..." She envied her sister, Leah. She said to Jacob, give me children or I shall die. When I lived in Missouri, I had a friend who would remind me constantly. He would say, comparison is the theft of joy. Well, comparison leads to envy, right? And when you're envious, it, it, it is the theft of joy. You know, we certainly see that truth in this verse as Rachel compared herself with Leah's situation. You know, Rachel was a blessed girl. Rachel was a beautiful girl. Rachel possessed the love of her husband, something every woman wants. And yet she was overcome with envy because God had not blessed her with children. And so she envied Leah. Jesus tells us where the heart of envy comes from. In, in uh, Matt, Mark chapter seven, he says, what comes out of a person is what defiles him. For from within, out of the heart of men, come evil thoughts. And among those that he lists, is envy. And he says, all these evils come from within, and they defile a person. See, envy starts when we forget all the great blessings God has come to us, given to us. And we focus on the blessings that God has given to others, and we don't rejoice for them. We envy in the blessings that they had. Harold Kaufman puts it this way. He says, envy is the art of counting the other fellow's blessings instead of your own. And so let me ask you, do you struggle with envy? Have you ever thought about this? Have you ever wondered, you know, where have I been envious? I don't think of that. And yet this week, even as I was preparing the sermon, thinking, you know, envy is not really a big struggle for me. The Lord, through the Holy Spirit and his grace, continually opens my eyes to places where I envy. Let me just share a few with you, okay? And you may not want me to be your pastor anymore after this, sorry, but... On a you know, when I was growing up, I would always envy the kids in high school. And by the way, I will probably ridicule most of you or tell you I'm envious of you, I guess I should say. I always envied the kids who studied less than me but got better grades than me, which was almost everyone, okay? I I I envy when I go to the Y and there are these young kids who can sprint the floor, who can hit every shot, and I envy them because I think, you know, I was better than them when I was their age, right? I, I envy when, I, when I'm sitting, you know, on Saturdays up in my office and I'm looking out the window and my neighbor is mowing his grass, playing with his kids, and I'm sitting there working on a sermon. I'm like, oh, I'd love to be out there. You know, I, I envy tons of things. I mean, I envy, envy people's gifts. I envy people's lawns. I mean, envy is something that is deep within me. And my guess is that you may not be as sinful as I am, but that you struggle with envy too because its roots are within our hearts someone's situation that you wish you had, whether it be a family situation or a financial situation or athletic or beauty or marriage or whatever it might be. We envy those people and it comes from our heart as Jesus has told us. And so the source of envy is in the heart of man. Let's move on. Look at the fruit of envy. In this case, in the story of Leah and Rachel, The fruit of envy is lots of kids, right? Uh, They end up with 12 kids here, 11 boys and one girl, and that's the fruit of this envy. And all of it, all of these births come about because of envy. We read in 31, again, Rachel envied her sister and she said to Jacob, give me children. Her whole thrust for having children was not, you know, children are a blessing from the Lord Uh, children are a great gift from God. Her whole thrust was that she envied Leah and wanted to have better than her. And so we see one of the fruits of envy is rivalry. You may have heard of bride wars. Here we have baby wars. They're seeing who can kick out the most kids, the fastest, to be the superior wife. You even see here, you know, Rachel uh, gives Jacob her maidservant and has him go into her, that she might have children through her. Now, I mean, Scripture never condones uh, polygamy. It condemns polygamy, even from the very beginning, when, when God says that marriage should be between, between the man and a woman, and the two shall become one, Okay. But you see here them following these sinful cultural norms because of their envy. And so they start kicking out children through their maidservants, through themselves. Rivalry is stewing between them. One of the most amazing things is after the second son that Rachel has through her servant, she names him Nephtali, which literally means with mighty wrestling, I have wrestled with my sister and have prevailed. You can see her mindset in this. It's to beat her sister, to have better kids than her sister. And so we see one of the fruits of envy is rivalry, and it causes division in relationships. The other fruit of envy that we see is a perpetual dissatisfaction. You certainly see it from the storyline as each one tries to turn out more and more kids, and with every kid they have, they are not satisfied, and they need to have another and another and another to be satisfied before God. The final verse of this passage really sticks out to you, doesn't it? It says, after Rachel finally has a son, in verse 24, it says, and she called his name Joseph, which means may he add, okay? Saying, may the Lord add to me another son. Isn't that amazing? She has a child, and she's already unsatisfied. She already wants another. She names her child, Lord, may I please have another, and so you see there's this perpetual dissatisfaction. Ecclesi- Ecclesi- Ecclesiastes 4.4 4 puts it this way. It says, Then I saw that all toil and all skill and work come from a man's envy of his neighbor. This also is vanity and a striving after wind. Do you guys know what the Rolling Stones' number one hit was in America? Do you know what made them from a big man into a mega man? It was, it was a song that Mick Jagger said was really the, the theme of his life. It's a song that all of you probably know, all of you have probably sung. It goes like this I'm not going to sing it. I can't get no satisfaction. Because I try and I try and I try and I try, and I can't get no satisfaction. If you remember the song, you probably remember yourself, at least I do, with the windows open, singing the song at the top of my lungs, and you have that experience with this. And I try. All right. Because I, yeah. So anyways. But it's continual striving, right? It's a treadmill that wears you out to have the better lawn, to have the better family, to have the better income, to have the better car, to have fill in the blank. And this is frustrating. So the fruit of envy is rivalry. It's also a perpetual dissatisfaction. Let's look now at the triumph over envy. As I had mentioned earlier, envy is not something that we often see as a big deal, but to God, it is truly something very wicked. It actually injures us. Proverbs says of envy, it says, envy makes the bones rot. It creates rivalry in our relationships. It leaves us grasping for more always to try to gain satisfaction. It gives a lifestyle of dissatisfaction. And so envy is not something to be treated lightly. Envy is something that is enslaving, that must be triumphed by God. And so let's look and see how is envy triumphed by God. And we're going to look at both the control of of envy, but also the consequences of envy. So how does the control of envy, how can we triumph over the control of envy? You know, envy is something that is rooted deep in our hearts. And like a weed, you may spray it, you may cut it, but it grows back up. I could sit here just today and, and point out Bible verses and just say, stop envying, okay? Go home and no longer envy. And maybe you'll do good for a day or two, but then you'll hear about how someone's not envying and you'll start envying their ability not to envy, Right? And envy will start to crop back up in your heart because that is the source of it. Proverbs twenty three seventeen gives us good directive into how to guide our hearts away from envy. It says this, let not your heart, the source, right? Let not your heart envy sinners. So we hear the command, let not your heart envy sinners. But then we see you must replace the envy with something else. It says, but continue in the fear of the Lord all the day. When we replace envy with the fear of the Lord, it means we are revering the Lord. You see, when we envy someone, it is a direct insult to God. It is a direct insult to the intelligence of God and the wisdom of God and the plan of God who has given you all that he has decided is good for you and no more and no less. And so when we envy, we do not revere God because we are not thankful. We do not trust the Lord's wisdom and his dispersion of gifts and blessings to us. And Proverbs 23 goes on and tells us to change the target. In verse 18, it says, Surely there is a future and your hope will not be cut off. Instead of focusing on God's good gifts to another, we're called to focus on a good God and God's good gifts to us. You know, I don't know if you've seen my car. I have this 2001 Toyota Echo. Half the windshield is scraped out because someone used a credit card to try to clean it before me. Um, doesn't have power locks, doesn't have power windows, uh, which is okay because I can actually reach every lock and every window from my seat. It's amazing. And so I am the power locks and power window. I had a friend at New Hope, and she had this car. It was an absolute beater car, rusted out. And it and, uh, probably cost $500. And on the back was a bumper sticker that said, This too shall perish. See, we don't have to. I don't have to envy someone else's car. I don't have to. You know why? Because I have something so much greater coming to me than a car. You know, I don't know if there will be Corvettes in heaven. I don't know if we'll all have Corvettes. I don't know if we'll all have Lamborghinis. But who cares? Because we will have Jesus. Jesus will be in heaven. He is our reward. He is our gift. You see, it's not, when we envy, it's not that we want too much. It's that we want too little. Does that make sense? It's not that our dreams are too big. It's that our dreams are too small. Want something greater than a big house. Want something greater than a green lawn. Want something greater than a perfect family. Want Jesus. And he will be yours for all eternity. And so you see, when we envy those smaller gifts, those great gifts from God, It's like a kid with a great ice cream sundae saying, you know, I'd rather have a Tic Tac, right? And that's what envy is. God is saying, are you kidding me? You're envying that? Behold, all that I have for you. You have me forever. You know, when I look at this passage, looking through the consequences of envy, I kind of need to skip forward here. As we look at the consequences of envy we we see that you know Rachel really has has no regard for God for much of this passage. Rachel doesn't deserve to have kids. Rachel doesn't even deserve to be used by God. But her heart starts to change and she starts to cry out to God. You know, first she went she went to herself to try to have children, and then she went to Jacob and said, "Give me kids." And then she went to mandrakes, right? What are mandrakes? Mandrakes is basically a passion fruit of some sort, but they thought it was to help fertility. And so she wants these mandrakes and these mandrakes will give her kids. And finally she goes to the Lord and she asks him for children. And then we read in verse 22, read with me if you would, 22 and 23. It says, then God remembered Rachel and God listened to her, And opened her womb. She was praying to God. And it said God remembered her. What does it mean that God remembered Rachel? Is it like God had, you know, God was watching TV and he had a hot boiling water on the stove. He's like, oh, I got to go get. God knows what's going on. Whenever we see remember, at least this far in Genesis, we see it meaning that God is about to enact his grace on an unworthy person. We saw in the life of Noah, when God floods the earth, he remembers Noah and recedes the waters. He gives the rainbow and he says, I will remember my covenant never to flood the earth again. In the story of Sodom and Gomorrah, God remembers Abraham and brings Lot out of Sodom. And so in every case, God is giving grace to these people. And he is loving them and he is preserving them and their line. You know, reading on verse 23, it said, She conceived and bore a son and said, God has taken away my reproach. And she called his name Joseph, saying, May the Lord add to me another son. You know, it it amazes me out of this envious mess of baby wars comes the people of God. Out of this envious mess of one gigolo, two envious wives, two girlfriends, and 12 kids comes the people of God. I mean, can you imagine that, you know, the exodus, they're reading the story for the first time. And they're like, oh, where did we come from? And then they read and they're like, we came from that? You know, like that's our family here? Yeah, right. But you see, our story's really not all that different. See, thousands of years later, God would once again use the envy of sinful people to bring, a, bring about his people, to bring about his church. Do you remember Pilate? Pilate was a guy who found Jesus innocent of all the charges from the high priest, right? And yet he still sent him away to be crucified. Envy, excuse me, Pilate is very perceptive and he says this in Mark 5, verse eight. It says, and the crowd came up and began to ask Pilate to do as he usually did for them, which was to release one of the prisoners during the feast. And he answered them saying, do you want me to release for you the king of the Jews. He's talking about Jesus. And then listen to this. For he perceived that it was out of envy that the chief priests, the leaders of the people of God, had delivered him up. Envy. It was envy that they turned him over. It was envy that sent Jesus Christ to the cross, the envy of mankind, the will of God, yes, but the envy of men that sent him to die for your envy and for my envy. That God would be jealous for me, that God would be jealous for you, that he would delight in us, that we would have the riches of heaven for all eternity. And so Christ came and he uses the envy of men, something horrific and sinful and unexcusable to bring about a people of God, his church, his bride. And so we see God conquers envy with his grace. So envy, just kind of recapping, is this deep, this thing that's born deep in our hearts, right? It's, it's hard to root out. Envy bears its nasty fruit through rivalry and through perpetual dissatisfaction. Envy can be, um, can be and has been conquered, though, by the grace of God. Let me end with this story. One day there was a little snail and this little snail lived in his little shell and he was with all his friends and he said, look at that beautiful lobster. Look at the shell that that lobster has. That thing is like a mansion. I want that shell for mine. Well, the days go on and he sees one day the lobster actually crawls out of his shell and grows a new shell. And so this little bug this little uh, snail turns to his friends and says, I'm going to take that shell. That shell is going to be mine. So he crawls out of his little shell and he goes into the lobster shell and he is stretching and he's groaning, and he's trying to make this shell fit because he wants this shell so bad. He's envious of it. And his friends look at him and they laugh at him and they, what's going on, you know. But he is determined to be in this shell. Well, the night comes and the shell is far too big for him and so he gets cold and then he gets colder and colder and he ends up freezing and dying all because he envied this shell. You know, God has given a shell to your neighbors, whether it be finances, cars, houses, grass, whatever it is. He has given it to them as a blessing. And we can praise God for the shell that he has given them. But did you know that God has created your situation just for you? He has created a shell just for you. And it is perfect for you. And God wants you to grow in that. Because God Who all-knowing and all-wise and loves us so much that he sent his only son, has so chosen to place you with the gifts and the blessings that you have today. Let's pray. Lord, we do come to you confessing our envy, confessing our inability to see our envy. God, we pray that in the weeks that come, Lord, you would show us where our perpetual dissatisfactions are, where our rivalry is, God. May we not envy, but may we praise you for the gifts that you have given to others. May we be encouragers, Lord, thankful that you have dispersed your gifts to other people, even if they're gifts that we do not have, Lord. God, we pray that you you create in us a fear of you, Lord, a reverence toward you, knowing that you have given us what we have at this particular time for a good and loving reason, because you are God and because you love us, Lord. Give us the faith to believe that and to remember that, Lord, that we might worship you. Set our mi- minds and our hearts upon Christ. Let us remember that we have the greatest treasure the world has ever known in your own Son, Jesus Christ.